We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. We are still in the aftermath of Tuesday night's election that was unfortunately really terrible for conservatives and especially uh, conservative values, including uh, abortion, that has become um, really just a, a very hotly contested issue in a lot of elections. And unfortunately, uh, when we're looking at the issue of abortion, so many conservatives think that this is just at the ballot box, this is just about the polls, this is just about advancing this issue through politics. But we have to start further than that. Uh, one of my my favorite people um, once said that, um, and this was back in college, but um, said that we can't just try to make abortion illegal, we have to make it unthinkable. And if we don't make it unthinkable, then is it any wonder why uh, the majority of Ohioans on Tuesday night enshrined abortion protections uh, in their state constitution? And this is a, a huge tragedy. And I was very uh, disappointed, quite frankly, to see that that was not one of the top issues last night in the third GOP debate. There was, of course, an emphasis on foreign policy, whether um, the candidates support funding to Ukraine, funding to Israel, um, some of, you know, all of those things, the economy, the, the, the typical and standard things that, of course, we all are concerned about. But I think for a lot of conservatives who want to know from each of the candidates where they would stand federally on the issue of abortion, um, that really didn't come up. And uh, that was, frankly, very discouraging because I think that uh, when you look at what former President Trump said about kind of backing off um, of the of the push for pro-life, and then you look at the contrast between what Governor DeSantis did with the six-week um, ban in, in the state of Florida, and I would love to know what Nikki Haley's response would be on a debate stage. I think we need to know some of these critical issues because it goes to the to the worldview of the candidates. It goes to how they process what is important because I think for a lot of the candidates, I mean, particularly, you know, Trump, DeSantis, Vivek have so much in common and there are some differences and some, some very big ones. But I think this is one issue that we all need to talk about more. And um, someone who is talking about it more um, is Katie Talento, who wrote a fantastic piece in Town Hall that is titled The War on America's Babies. And um, this is, is just a fantastic piece. So Katie, thanks so much for joining me. And um, I think it's not a, 
uh, an, an exaggeration to say that there is a, a war on America's babies. And unfortunately, the lives of unborn children have been overly politicized in America. Yeah, I think that's right, Jenna. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I, I've been really watching these elections with such trepidation as we've seen the, you know, the abortion issue so politicized. And we've lost, the, lost you know, I think in our party, we've lost track that there are women and babies, um, you know, girls and babies that are at the heart of this problem and their fears and, um, and their, their isolation you know, is is something that I think we forget about and we let the left just, you know, take all that emotional content and exploit it um, rather than our, you know, letting the voters know that we see that emotional content. We're the ones that are there picking up the pieces of lives of our daughters and our sisters and our neighbors <clears throat> and our friends and trying to help them keep their babies and raise their babies and um, or live their lives and, and place their babies for adoption. So, you know, we're, we're the ones funding the crisis pregnancy centers. We're the ones out there that are um, trying to be there in those terrible moments of fear. And I know because my daughter herself was in a very abusive relationship and got pregnant twice and was um, threatened that she had to abort uh, her children. Um, and thank God, thank God there were pro-life voices speaking to her that protected those babies. And now I have these perfect little grandchildren that wouldn't be here if the Democrats had their way, if the Democrats, you know, got their agenda in our family. And I think that we need to talk about what families are going through more and more. And why are our daughters getting pregnant in the first place? Who is looking out for them in their schools? Who's teaching them about how to treat their bodies and what they deserve and, you know, this is the war on the family is, is a bigger narrative than just the war on babies. But the war on babies is the most disgusting expression of that war on the family. And it starts just from the medicalized war on babies, which is what I wrote about in the town hall piece about how the FDA has declared war on babies. They're not looking out for the safety and effectiveness of the things that are approved for children anymore. It's really scary. So well said, uh, Katie Talento, who's the executive director of the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries and was the top health advisor at the White House Domestic uh, Policy Council. And and I think you're so right that this is emotional and it seems like the Democrats exploit that and they position themselves as suggesting that they're the ones who are actually advocating for women and that this is all about women's rights. And they fail to take into account, I think purposefully, that it's so much more complex than just a woman's so-called right to choose. And you look at story after story, like the one that you shared personally, and I'm so grateful that your daughter had her children. And and the, if you look at the stories, and there are so many like that, there is never regret for having a child, even if it was unplanned, unexpected, it is always a blessing. And even if the circumstances are, are not um, ideal or even criminal, a, a child is still a blessing from the Lord and is still an independent, autonomous human being made in the image of God. And yet you look at the contrast of so many women who absolutely regret their abortions, if not in the moment a year or years down the road. And that's what the left will never talk about. And so when we look at how this whole discussion is framed, it is so much more complex than just this is an issue about women's rights. How do we as conservatives insert 
all of the care for women and their children and raising them and giving them life. It's not just about being pro-birth. It's truly about being pro-life. How do we advance that and insert that into the overall um, national picture when it seems like we're just cut off at the pass? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I, I certainly think we need to start talking to boys and men about this as well. I think some I statistic like 85% of women who abort their children were pressured to do so, especially by their partner, by the father of the baby. And, you know, what's going on with our boys and our men that are, you know, I thought that the Democrats were supposed to be the feminist party, right? And I think it's time for us to start um, embracing real feminism and saying that, you know, yeah, women deserve the support of the fathers that made these children. And if you don't want to be a child, then don't make a child, <laughs> right? So, Because uh, you've already made one at that point when, when your uh, partner is pregnant. And so I, I think that we really need to start taking back our education system and keeping our boys and our girls closer to home, closer to the family. We need to not be, um, we need to create more school choice. We need to keep our kids away from these pagan environments where they're being indoctrinated into thinking that um, their comfort and their ambitions and, um, you know, their ability to play video games without consequence is, is the only point in life, you know? And I think I see way too much of that um, going on when, among public school students and all school students, really. I mean, the only kids that I see that are not being infected totally by the twisted values of our society are those that are homeschooled or in some sort of radical, uh, you know, community co-op school. And I think that this gets back to one of the really huge blessings of COVID, despite all the many, many curses of COVID, but the, one of the great blessings of COVID is that it kept everyone back in their families. And I think that... Um, you know, I remember when the lockdowns first happened, my first thought, although it was, you know, surreal and awful, like we, we were all had never experienced this, but my first thought was maybe we'll get back to a more natural family environment with all of us sort of working together at home. We might all kill each other, <laughs> but we're, we're going to have to learn to relate to each other better um, during those lockdowns. And I think there was some lesson for all of us to take there because the privacy of the family, when the family breaks down, that's when it's all over. Mm. And yeah, so well said. And, you know, John Stone Street, who's one of my favorite commentators from the Colson Center, um, talks about how the sexual revolution provided all of the pleasure aspects of uh, intimate relationships and takes away all of the responsibility and the accountability. And as we have moved forward as a society um, to not depend on each other and not necessarily need each other for s mere survival like families of the past uh, had to, and it had to be a community, we can now live very individual, isolated lives. Then all of that together has taken the the family responsibility and the love and um, the, the necessity of being a family unit um, out of the picture. And I think it's so important as, as you're talking about, Katie, to go back to why God instituted the family to begin with and how even if, yes, technically, you know, individuals can take care of themselves financially um, and so forth um, all by themselves, that isn't the design for a human nature and, and human relationships. And once we get to the point that we can have 
um, any type of intimate relationship with no consequences, then abortion is the natural um, outflow of that. There's nothing natural about it. It's totally unnatural, but it's, it's the logical next step for the left. And now you even wrote a piece in just the last two minutes I have with you, um, also in the Washington Times, that talks about um, as insurers go woke, um, more people are care sharing. And this is encouraging, I think, um, because... Christians don't want to be funding or part of um, anything that that funds or provides abortion services. And so I think this is also an important important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, not God forbid I would ever defend insurance companies. I do not. But (laughs) to be fair to them. Many of them aren't necessarily going woke as much as the states that they're operating in are requiring that their plans cover abortions, cover cutting breasts off children, cover um, immoral fertility treatments. And so, you know, I think that we uh, we really need to be thinking about alternatives to get it to helping people of good faith and goodwill get out of that broken system. And healthcare sharing ministries you know, have, have provided that solution for more than a million Americans. Um, it's the most pro-life healthcare financing solution out there. It's the only one, honestly. Um, and so I think that it's really important for people to know that there's an alternative. You know, healthcare sharing ministry might not be the, the right fit for your family, but it's certainly worth finding out if it is. Um, it, it really is for a lot of people. And, you know, the last thing that you want in the most vulnerable time of your life when you're facing life and death diagnoses or decisions is some cold insurance bureaucracy standing between you and your family and your doctor in that moment. We don't want that. And healthcare sharing ministries really bring the Christian community right there around you. Um, they summon the angels through prayer. And also, you know, just, just you'll, get, you'll get a check in the mail from other members to help cover your bills, but also you're going to get prayers in the mail. You're going to get notes of encouragement. It's really a beautiful model. We think it's sort of how Jesus would do healthcare, and we certainly think it's a right that needs to be protected, and many states are trying to um, express their animus toward toward these organizations in unconstitutional ways and ways that infringe upon religious liberty. So our job is to stand up for, for the freedom of these organizations. Yeah, and um, and I think it, it's it's such a an obvious tactic that um, any sort of alternative, um, of course, big government is trying to to quash, and uh, just like homeschooling, and because you know there are viable alternatives than sending your children to um, state funded and directed um, indoctrination institutions, you actually have other alternatives, and um, they don't want you to look into that, um, and and that's why it's so important to understand the the whole picture. And Katie, I'm really um, thankful for your work. Katie Talento, who's the executive director of the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries. And you can read her piece, The War on America's Babies, in Town Hall and also her piece in uh, The Washington Times. And we do need to continue to pray for one another, to support one another. That is what the Bible calls us to do as Christians. And I know for all of you who have continued to pray for me, encourage me through everything I've gone through in the past year, um, that meant so much much to me. And that was a huge part of uh, me being able to continue to trust and rely on the Lord. So it is so important as the body of Christ that we continue to lift one another up in prayer. We'll be right back with more. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. 
We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. As we stop and consider uh, what has gone on in the last election just two days ago and then looking forward to how we can continue to preserve and protect America and our freedoms and our rights that we understand come from God, our creator, um, I think it's so important that we look to the worldview of uh, where we actually stand and where our elected officials stand. And I got a really um, excellent uh, comment from Matthew in Virginia. And I want to read this this morning because um, it's just, it's so well said. So Matthew says, good morning, Jenna. I was listening to your broadcast this morning. This was yesterday, following the bellwether election here in Virginia, as well as Kentucky, et cetera. While I agree with your sentiment that Ron DeSantis is the best candidate within the Republican field, I have to say that our defeat was not a referendum on MAGA, but rather a referendum on morality. The primary issue that the Democrats used against conservatives was abortion and gay rights. Consequently, this was not a rejection of the Trump MAGA agenda economics uh, per se, as with the 2012 and 2020 elections. This victory for the Democrats had to include a significant portion of the quote unquote church that continues to vote left. The crisis of morality within society is a reflection of the larger issue within the church. Expository teaching is absent within many conservative churches, including evangelical churches. People do not have a clear biblical worldview regarding the matters of abortion, pornography, and homosexuality. As a result, they see the issue as government overreach and political freedom rather than a crisis of morality. People need to clearly understand that our Constitution was not conceived by our founding fathers as a license for immorality. Every society needs moral boundaries, and the Bible is the foundation for those boundaries within Western society. Government was conceived by God as the institution to implement and maintain those boundaries based on his nature and character. Until pastors return to expository preaching and teaching, we will have many young, immature believers voting in favor of progressive policies contrary to a biblical worldview. As for DeSantis, his platform and agenda are virtually identical to Donald Trump's. He may not use the word MAGA, but it still includes the same conservative approach to abortion as proposed by Glenn Youngkin and the Virginia Republican platform. Our society has repeatedly demonstrated a desire to preserve their license for immorality uh, license over economic stability. I do not believe the conservative slash Republican agenda can win in November 2024 unless we drop abortion from our platform. If that ever happens, we will lose the evangelical conservative vote, and rightfully so. Politically, we face a lose-lose proposition going into 2024. 
One thing is very clear from a biblical standpoint, and that is that we know that things must go from bad to worse before the appearance of our Lord. I grieve over the state of our society reflected by these political losses, yet I see that we live in a time of prophetic fulfillment. All of this is indicative of the fact that the time of the end is drawing very near. I think it is time to shift our focus away from political solutions. I'm not saying we should give up the good fight, but start pointing out to our friends and neighbors the signs of the times while we still have time to speak truth freely with boldness. I think I could not have said that better. And Matthew from Virginia, thank you so much um, for that email. And, And I think that this just further demonstrates how we as Christians have to continue to be active in culture and the church because politics is downstream from that. And one of the candidates last night, well, we still have to engage in politics, but I think very clearly demonstrated the cultural and worldview problems, I and I think best, and who I think won the debate, was Vivek Ramaswamy, because he specifically highlighted and has consistently pointed out the problems implicit within the Republican Party, but also in the culture with ESG, with um, all of the CRT, with all of these things that are cultural issues that are now infiltrating politics. And uh, this, this, though, to me, was the the moment, if you missed the debate last night, this was the moment that Vivek actually spoke truth to power that was sitting right there in the room. This is cut one. Not the former president. I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here, and I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Christian Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability. Mike drop and the debate as far as i was concerned was done after that moment that was just absolutely fantastic so well said so i want to bring back on a stefan mahailu who is the deputy communications director for vivek ramaswamy and um stefan i gotta say you didn't even prepare us for how great vivek would do on the stage i mean you, you amped him yesterday but this was just the perfect moment of speaking truth to power um what has been the reaction to this comment and and overall the debate performance with you it was like a mike tyson fight in his early heyday where he just knew in 60 seconds 
He landed a punch, it was over, and boom, he had won. And that's exactly how we felt about Vivek Ramaswamy. The first 60 seconds in, and that clip you displayed, we thought, okay, he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth about the Republican Party, the fake news media. We can end the debate right now with fake one. But what's, what's beautiful about him is that he speaks the truth unvarnished, and there's no talking points, there's no consultants. He speaks from the heart, and he speaks exactly what we think. Think. He has the guts and the heart to verbalize and say exactly what we're feeling inside. And those individuals are right there. And he spoke the truth to them. And, and to chat, uh, Jenna, about the email that you shared, Vivek Ramaswamy says all the time that, especially the youth of America, they are hungry for a cause. They're lost. They're hungry for a purpose. And instead of turning to faith, God, religion, family, they're turning to the climate cult the abortion cult, the COVID cult. And that's why Vivek Ramaswamy is running for president, to give our nation a purpose and to lead a national revival so that our youth are not lost in the desert. And that we have a a political leader who people look up to and say, yeah, he's the president and, and going to our children, that's someone you can look up to. And the debate performance was, you know, you had other career politicians taking their best shots at Vivek Ramaswamy, and he wiped the floor with the Republican establishment, the media, and career politicians. So has there been any um, fallout or, um, you know, kind of love lost between uh, Vivek's campaign and the RNC with that comment about Rana McDaniel? I mean, I was so cheering him on. Everybody knows I am not a fan at all of Rana. And uh, guess who guess who insulted her? I mean, Donald Trump. And so if Vivek had even mentioned that, I think that would have even been a, a bigger explosion of a mic drop moment. But um, has there been any uh comments between Vivek and Rana since last night? Well, there were certainly some heated words after the debate, and it was caught on camera by NBC News following it, but good. You know, but tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And he's doing that, whether it's the establishment rhino Republicans, the media, or career politicians. But Jenna, this started with the RNC many weeks ago. I was And I think we're open discourse. Go ahead, Stefan. We lost you for a couple of seconds. So go ahead and and repeat your your answer there. Okay, if you can hear me now, I was uh, I was on the plane. Jenna, are you there? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, the the fight was where I was on the plane with Vivek Ramaswamy flying to Washington, D.C., where he was supposed to debate Chris Christie live on Fox News. And we get a message from the RNC saying, if you go on Fox News and debate Chris Christie, you are not going to be allowed on the third presidential debate stage. And that was just wrong. You know, people need to hear open debate. And so that just boiled over into the third debate, and there was massive losses in the Republican Party. And Vivek is always going to speak the truth, whether it's about establishment rhinos, the media, or career politicians. So good for him. He said exactly what the American people were thinking, and he just wiped the floor with everybody in the debate. Yeah, and I think that this harkens back to why uh, then-candidate outsider Donald Trump resonated with so many people across the country in 2016, because he was saying what everybody was feeling. And I personally don't think that Trump is now as effective or saying anything really that a lot of people are thinking 
because he has so many friends now in D.C. and, you know, some other other things that are going on. And it seems like, um, you know, more that it's focused on him instead of the American people. I think that Vivek truly is um, America first 2.0 in that sense that he ha- is as running as the outsider and he is the one instead of Donald Trump and instead of, you know, the other candidates as much as, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan and supporter of Governor DeSantis. I was so disappointed, frankly, to see a lot of these same talking points that are scripted lines that, I mean, I've heard him in other interviews say the same thing. And I'm thinking, this is scripted. Why aren't you just answering the question? And he, I mean, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, they're very smart people. They can just speak off the cuff. And I think that Vivek just clearly did that so well. Um, but but he, he is speaking what people want to hear and they want to see that accountability and that confrontation like what happened last night. And um, Kristen Welker, of course, you know, now it's kind of this viral meme of her expression after being asked directly um, about her comments on the whole Russia collusion hoax. And she didn't respond. Um, and so, I mean, has there been any comment from NBC suggesting, you know, that Vivek isn't welcome on the air anymore? Are they just going to ignore it? Or where do we expect this to go? Well, we'll see what happens on Saturday <laughs> Night Live if they uh, take a torch to Vivek Ramaswamy. I certainly hope they do. But he has a fresh set of legs. You can only be an outsider once. And Donald Trump was an outsider in 2016. And Vivek is the only outsider in the race right now, where you have other career politicians, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, warmongers who want to put our sons and daughters to war and die in the field of battle to line their own pockets. And Vivek says, absolutely not. We're not going to do that. We are going to put America first and not put our troops in danger. And he doesn't need the paycheck, that's for sure. And I think that's the difference with Vivek Ramaswamy and the entire field, including Donald Trump. That, yes, Vivek is a business owner and political outsider. He speaks from the heart. (laughs) There's no script. There's no teleprompter. There's no consultant sitting with Vivek. I'm telling you, I spent a lot of time with him uh, at campaign headquarters or on the road with him. No one tells him what to say. And, Jenna, you're right. You heard a lot of canned responses from career politicians because that's what they do. Everything that Vivek talked about on that stage last night, putting America first, keeping us out of war, reducing the debt, curbing inflation. Those are his values. No one's telling him what to say. And I think that's why he's resonating with the American people. Yeah. And he was also um, the only one to specifically call out Ukraine for um, not acting like a democracy. I mean, Nikki Haley was suggesting that, you know, oh, this is our our ally, you know, because of NATO and we need to just affirm anything that they they want to do in their sovereignty. And he had a really great Um, response on Ukraine. Let's actually play this real quick. This is cut seven. I'm actually enjoying watching the Ukraine hawks quietly, delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster. The first half of this race, I was the only person standing for it. Now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should. Level with the American people here. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. The regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now in the Donbass, Luhansk, Donetsk, 
These are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. And I think that was so brilliantly said because nobody really is talking about how Zelensky is just saying, you know, this isn't really time to have an election. I mean, can you imagine a sitting American president suggesting that? that that's not um, at all a, a democracy. And, and it's like, Stefan, we have this notion in American politics that everything is black and white when really there is so much gray and it's so much more nuanced than this. And I thought his response there was actually absolutely perfect. So in just the last like two minutes I have with you, um, your response to that and how he just cuts through all of the, uh, I think, the BS on both sides. It's exactly what the American people are thinking. They're thinking about the trillions of dollars and the, the horrific lives lost in Iraq and Afghanistan. And is America better off? No. The Taliban is in charge in Afghanistan. We lost American lives and trillions upon trillions of dollars spent fighting wars overseas. Look at China. China is America's biggest enemy. Vivek Ramaswamy talks about the fact that we should never be reliant on our biggest enemy for the shoes on our feet or the phones in our pocket. But yet, with Joe Biden and other Republican warmongers focused on marching us into war in the Middle East, that does not serve America's interests. We need to focus on China, our biggest enemy. And look, I think Vivek hit the nail on the head talking about Social Security. Why are we talking about the fact that it's going to go bankrupt, that inflation is high, that government spending is out of control? If America didn't spend the trillions of dollars on all these foreign wars that killed Americans, but line the pockets of people like Nikki Haley and Dick Cheney, then we wouldn't be where we are today. And that's why the, it was such a distinct difference. And yeah, and that came from the heart, you know. Vivek Ramaswamy saying that Nikki Haley was basically Dick Cheney just wearing three-inch heels. That was a that was a great punch. <laughs> but it was so true about the fact that Vivek Ramaswamy is the only person who's not going to lead us into war. That not only saves American lives, but it also means that money spent on useless foreign wars in the Middle East will be spent on America, securing our border, lowering the debt, and curbing inflation. That's well, he did such a great job. And Stefan, really appreciate you joining us two days in a row. Congrats to uh, Vivek on an excellent uh, debate last night. And we'll look forward to having him and you on again soon. And we'll be right back with more debate analysis right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantage from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. 
That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are speaking about uh, speaking truth to power and uh, the outflow of the third GOP debate last night. And of course, uh, former President Trump did not participate in that debate like he didn't uh, the prior to. He held a rally uh, in Uh, Florida, actually, and Governor Sarah Sanders of Arkansas, formerly his press secretary, uh, also spoke from that stage and gave him uh, her endorsement, which I think is significant, um, just as the endorsement from Kim Reynolds in Iowa um, is perhaps even more significant just in terms of Iowa and its placement in terms of um, the primary and being the first up state comparatively with Arkansas. But all of these things uh, still matter. But joining me to uh, discuss the debate and more is our good friend Tho Bishop, who is the content director at the Mises uh, Institute. And um, and Tho, I wanted to get your perspective um, first and foremost. Well, well, first, who did you think overall won the debate last night? Well, I think Vivek really stood out um, you know, echoing the sentiments of the other side of the break, I, I thought that his uh, lines, particularly on foreign policy, very clearly separated him from the rest of the pack. I know Governor DeSantis, when it comes to Ukraine, is probably closer to the next line. Um, but I thought he made some very strong, powerful critiques about the foreign policy of the last 20 years or so that have uh, fueled so many of our problems. But I think just as important as that, I think the biggest applause line where I was watching was when he uh, took Ronda McDaniels to task for the inadequacies of the RNC, uh, highlighting how, you know, allowing NBC to, to host the debate in the first place. So I thought the moderators did a relatively good job. And I think a lot of Republicans are looking for accountability from the party nationally. And so I think that attack line from the very beginning um, was a, a sort of strength as well. I think that's a, a sort of hunger that a lot of frustrated Republicans, particularly after Tuesday, are looking for. Yeah, yeah, really well said. And I think that was definitely the mic drop moment. And in fact, on my uh, X slash Twitter, I posted that clip. And I mean, and this was just a few minutes into the debate. And I said, okay, Vivek wins because you're not going to get a a better mic drop moment than that with Ronna McDaniel and the NBC moderators on NBC uh, to to speak truth to power like that. I thought it was fantastic. Um, but in terms of, you know, a couple of the other candidates, um, I wanted to play uh, this clip from Governor DeSantis on student visas and civil rights violations, because one of the questions that was um, what I thought particularly good, and DeSantis had a very good response, was talking about um, students on college campuses who are not just pro-Palestine and the, the innocence there, but actually pro-Hamas and pro-terror. And that uh, that he has actually taken action as governor on uh, student visas and discussing this. This is cut four. I was the first presidential candidate to say, if you are here on a student visa as a foreign national, you're making common cause with Hamas. I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. No questions asked. Second, I have friends here in Florida who 
their kids do not feel safe even going to university campus at all outside of the state of Florida. You have Jewish students fleeing for their lives at Cooper Union. Joe Biden should have the Department of Justice on these college campuses and holding the universities accountable for civil rights violations. When you have, you should not have money going to these places. I already acted in Florida. We had a group, Students for Justice of Palestine. They said they are common cause with Hamas. They said, we're not just in solidarity. This is what we are. We deactivated them. We're not going to use Tate tax dollars to fund jihad. No way. And what is Biden doing? Not only is he not helping the Jewish students who are being persecuted, he is launching an initiative to combat so-called Islamophobia. No, it's the anti-Semitism that's spiraling out of control. Right. That is what we have to confront. And as president, I can tell you this, we are not going to stand for this on college campuses any longer. I thought that was DeSantis's by far his best response overall. Um, your thoughts, though? No, I agree. And um, that's one of the, the nice things that uh, DeSantis is able to frequently refer to during the debate stage is that a lot of the things that candidates on the stage have talked about they will do if they, they win this or that. Um, you know, in his position, using the executive branch in the state of Florida, he's actually acted on, I think, a number of, of items, including this. Um, yeah, I thought another point of strength is highlighting, um, you know, bringing home 700, or 700 Americans back when the Biden administration had failed to do so and, and wanted to charge them for you know, using charter planes and whatnot, getting out of Israel. Um, another exact example of him being able to point to actual concrete actions that he has taken as governor, um, where everyone else has, has rhetoric there. And, and more importantly, I think this larger dynamic of the extremism within higher education is something that, you know, if, if anything, I wish the, the famous campaign had done more to highlight his work on. Um, is, I think mean, taking back the, the university system has become so toxic, so extreme. This sort of militarism that we're seeing play out on the Palestine issue has been there for a number of issues. Um, you know, this, this, this left-wing indoctrination aspect that, you know, if you look at what he's got in New College, um, if you look at some of the legislation in terms of tenure reform, dealing with some of the extreme professors in the state of Florida and whatnot, I think that's one of the, the areas where DeSantis stands alone, not only amongst those on the debate stage, but really Republicans governing nationwide. I think that is one of the most important issues um, in the country right now uh, regarding the future, and, and that's certainly one of his strongest uh, points, too, in terms of his legislative record. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Um, and I, I wish, uh, like you, that that had been highlighted more um, and, and the issues in higher education and parental rights in particular. And and to me, the, the, you know, one of the the big drawbacks to these debates and why a lot of people think this is kind of just a snooze fest in some ways other than a couple of these, you know, viral moments um, is because it seems so antiquated in terms of the issues and the repetition of talking points and the format of just, you know, your two minute responses. And it seems like this is just geared toward um, you know, frankly, a, a much older generation that's used to this type of format instead of the actual college students who may be voting for the first time even. Um, you know, my, my younger brother um, who is going to be voting in a presidential election for the first time. Um, you know, and so th these types of things, I think, um, and these types of formats the the traditional politician style isn't going to be as effective for the younger generation. And that's where Vivek really shined. And one of the other uh, responses that he had that I thought was absolutely brilliant was his commentary on the economy and millennials feeling like the American dream just isn't attainable for them. Uh, this is cut three. 
As a CEO, the economic question is core to my vision and policy prescription for this country. Increase the supply of everything. It's the law of supplies and demand. Increase the supply of energy. That brings down the cost of energy, grows the economy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Increase the supply of labor in this country. Stop using our taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home instead of to go to work. Increase the supply of housing. People don't talk about this one in the Republican Party. The land use restrictions are constricting the supply of housing. That's making housing more expensive for ordinary Americans across this country. So that's the true answer. And I think it takes a CEO in the White House who actually understands this to get this done. Because Americans at home, they know the Bidenomics is a lie. Prices are going up. Interest rates and mortgages to buy your home are going up. But wages have remained flat. That's the hard diagnosis for our economy. And this is about more than just our economy. I say this as a member of my generation. I'm 38 years old. I'm the youngest person ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. The reason my generation has lost our sense of national pride in part is because people in my generation feel like the American dream isn't available to them. And part of the reason why is we burdened them with four-year college degrees that did not serve their head start on the American dream. People will be more proud of a country if we're all making more money in that country. This is how we revive national pride and our identity, and it will take a CEO in the White House with zero-based budgeting, by the way, to take on Mr. the federal Ramaswamy, debt to get you. this job done. Really well said, uh, yet again. And so uh, I think that that really resonates to to our generation, um, to millennials and younger who uh, who do feel like that, and and who um, you know haven't purchased homes, who have to, who feel like they have to have um, you know a, a two income household and have um, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt for degrees that aren't even in their their field now of practice. I mean, so many things. It's not just about Bidenomics in the way that you know Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis approach this, I think that Vivek was really wise in um, speaking directly to his generation. Absolutely. And one of the dangers is, is it's not only uh, becoming disillusioned with the, the prospects of the American dream as a national concept, but it's fueling you know, the, the rejection of, of capitalism, the rise of socialism, um, you know, this dynamics of a good feeling that at level of, of economic hopelessness. Um, Vivek has also you know, talked in past debates about the Fed and inflation and these sort of dynamics. And you know, I think Republicans have done a very poor job in really demonstrating and really, really trying to appeal to younger voters. You kind of, particularly on the, the college loan issue, right? You know, sort of recourse is to, to mock people that have large student loan debts. And there's certainly plenty of, of bad degrees and, and there's you know, plenty of examples of, uh, let's call it a, a, a poor choices when it comes to perhaps uh, degree options there. But the reality is that if you have a younger generation saturated with debt, not being able to buy homes, not being able to get married, um, you're not being able to have those milestones in their life that leads people to start thinking for the future. I mean, you know, the, the sort of person that, that never has a child um, is going to think about the future differently. They're, they're, they're not going to become conservative in a, a true cultural sense. In the same way that someone who does have skin in the game for future generations, and you know, when we have this inflationary culture, uh, the, the one asset that you cannot save is your labor, the, the time that you spend um, working at a young age to be able to build up something that you can rely on in the future. That's something that you know, is missing every single day. And the more and more young people that are working paycheck to paycheck at a higher and higher you know, salary level, um, just to, to get by. 
it, it, it's, it's culturally deforming. It's not just bad economic policy in terms of, you know, uh, GDP or consumption or this, that, and the other. It, it's bad for the culture of the country. It's bad for the spirit of the country. And I think Vivek has done a great job of, of tapping into that. And, you know, he was one of those candidates that has really utilized the podcast circuit, similar to, to RFK, similar in some ways to the way that Trump changed the campaign game back in 2016 with his long-form rallies and the like. Um, you know, going back to your previous point, you know, this sort of campaign by media soundbite, you know, whether it's the debate stage or whether these quick media hits on Fox News or whatever, um, you know, that's not the way people are consuming content now. Uh, people are consuming, you know, longer form. They, they, they want thoughtfulness. They want genuineness. And I think Vivek stands alone within the Republican uh, field right now in terms of people that have been able to, to utilize that and people that are capable of actually saying something original for an hour, to, you know, hour and a half. Um, being able to address these real issues, and so I, I think he's been a, a welcome addition to to the campaign uh, this this cycle, and um, you know, I think he showed that again last night. I'm speaking with Tho Bishop, who is a content director for the Mises Institute, and and I think you're absolutely right in terms of. Um, utilizing the media and particularly the social media that the millennial generation and younger uh, actually watches and consumes. Um, Because the fact that these debates from the RNC are on Fox and NBC, I mean, I don't have cable. I was watching this on Rumble because guess what? The RNC realized that, you know, and I'm 39, but you know, the, the younger generation and college students, they're not going to pay for cable um, right now. I'm not paying for cable because I, I just don't care. And that's not, and I haven't had cable, you know, for years. And, and so to at least stream it on Rumble and have that available, but the fact that they're streaming these or, or, or they're even holding these on cable news networks instead of like what Vivek said, have Elon Musk and Joe Rogan, um, you know, as some of these debate moderators that would actually ask the questions. These are the people that the largest voting block, which now is millennials, actually want to hear from. I feel like the Republican Party is just not at all in touch with their biggest voting block, even insofar as the platform that they're putting their primary candidates on. And and this doesn't really bode well, I don't think, for 2024. And you need candidates like Vivek and, and also like Donald Trump in 2016, who um, using social media like Twitter to speak directly, um, that was a huge plus for his campaign. And I think Vivek has done that really well with earned media. Um, we're already all out of time. And, and I wanted to get into to Nikki Haley. Um, but, you know, we'll have to do that another day. Um, Tho Bishop, really appreciate your commentary. And overall, again, my score is um, Vivek won. I think Ron DeSantis did a great job um, second, and and he is very strong in terms of an actual conservative America First agenda. Um, Nikki Haley is an up-and-comer. I don't really know why. And then Tim Scott and Chris Christie were kind of just like, you know, the potted plants in the corner where it's like, okay, fine, you know, whatever. But nobody really paid attention uh, to much of what they had to say. So (laughs) that's uh, that's my opinion. But, uh, you know, you can always reach me with your opinion, Jenna at AFR.net, and uh, continue to make it a great day for the Lord. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. 
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.